Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And we welcome in our new sponsor, Any Lab Test Now. I'll tell you more about them in just a few minutes. Joining me is my DeAndre Hopkins, my co-host, Stephen Kerr, who catches everything I throw to him. I certainly try. Um, it's a good thing. Maybe, maybe I need to put some more glue on my hands because there is sure a lot going on in Houston sports to throw around these days, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And, and Stephen, you know, I was so looking forward to doing this show when we were getting ready for it yesterday, and I was excited to talk about another impressive Rockets win against one of the NBA's top teams, the gutsy performance on Saturday against Boston. But Monday was kind of like last week in Houston when we had that beautiful sunny day outside, and you thought everything's just great, and man, we haven't had flooding in a, so long. All of a sudden, our cars were about under five foot of sewage water, also called the Knicks. Yeah, I tell you, Houston just can't catch a break, can they? Whether it's a sports thing like you know what the Astros are experiencing and the the Texans you know blowing a lead and then you have a water main break that you know it doesn't even have to rain to put Houston underwater so uh, this is just a tough time in Houston period and the Rockets didn't help and and you know what the the big question I knew it was going to come too Robert the big question that everybody's talking about is okay so is this small ball thing finally coming to roost is it not working because if you look at the rebounding the next greatly out-rebounded the Rockets. But, you know, my take on it is, look, you've, you've got to go through the rest of the season. The big test to me is still going to be in the postseason as to whether this is going to be effective or not. Yes, the Rockets are, are near the bottom of the league in defensive rebounding and second-chance points, you know, against and things like that. But is, it, it really what it boils down to me is if the offense is clicking and consistent, you can hide those weaknesses. The, the biggest issue, though, is when it's not, and those weaknesses are going to be exposed with a smaller lineup. That, that's really the question I have, and I, I think it's it certainly reared its ugly head in the Knicks game. What frustrated me most about the Knicks' loss was how the Rockets had put themselves in this perfect position to potentially get the three-seed in the West or even the two-seed. If you looked at the NBA strength of schedule, uh, you know, as it as it remains, the Rockets' schedule was 21st while the Nuggets is 11th. So you could at least jump the Nuggets. That you, that's what you thought. But then after the Knicks lost, they're they're back two in the loss column again. And that doesn't sound awful, but there's only 20 games left in the season. And this happens fast. And you almost want the schedule, Stephen, to be harder because this year they've lost to the Pistons, the Kings, the Knicks, and the Suns. It's, it's, it, get them a hard schedule. Yeah, that's even what I think I've pointed out in an earlier podcast is you, you almost think that the Rockets play better with teams that are either they're equal or above them. They they just seem to lack that intensity when they get on a floor the floor against a team like the Knicks or the Pistons or someone of that nature. You know, even the Boston game, I mean, they rallied. They you you almost thought the Boston game was going to be a loss. They came through when they had to. I thought they were going to lose another buzzer beater. It's a good thing that they were up by three on that final shot in regulation, or they would have suffered, I think, their third buzzer beater loss. But they overcame that. And, you know, even lately, they've been consistently or at least more consistent with keeping the big leads, not quite blowing those huge leads. So you thought that the Rockets, you know, were starting to make progress, but then they stubbed their toe against a team that they should beat. And, and that has been one of the biggest frustrations that they've had this season. I don't know if it's glass half empty in me with James Harden, but, you know, I watched the Boston game. He was terrible. He was you know, not good against the Knicks of a couple of really bad shooting nights. But the stuff that really bugs me is 
Steven's like, he, he's, he's at the end of the game. It reminds me of the playoffs where you need Harden just to make smart decisions. The Rockets are up by six. And you're like, just, all you got to do is just hold on to the ball long enough to get fouled. And he throws the ball away for a turnover and the, the Celtics are back in it. I don't know if it's a case of when Harden, when, when things are going rough, that Harden just, he just seems to get discouraged. You know, we've seen it in the postseason time and time again that uh, if the Rockets have a huge mountain to climb or a deficit, it, it's almost as if Harden, I, I don't want to use the word throw in the towel, but it just it just seems like he just loses, he just becomes discouraged and just loses heart. That wasn't even a rough time. They were up by six. Well, they were up. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. And in this case, it's it's not even it's not even that situation. Uh, but he clearly has like, he had that slump even you know a couple of weeks ago where he had that stretch where he just wasn't playing well. All I can say is thank God for Russell Westbrook. Yeah, I was going to ask you. You know, do you find it odd that the Rockets now put the ball in Westbrook's hands for the big free throws in the end of game situations, like against Boston, and also for the last second shot? Like against the Knicks, I mean, as great as Russ has been playing, you you still would think you wouldn't want to re- defer to the Rockets' best free throw shooter when the game's on the line and take the ball out of James Harden's hands. It's kind of, that's kind of odd to me. Yeah, when would we have thought we'd be saying that at the beginning of the season? We almost thought that Russell Westbrook would be just as much of a liability as James Harden can be in certain situations. But yeah, Harden, I, I, you just hope that this is... I mean, look, if you're going to have a stretch like he's having... Do it now, I suppose. You sure don't want it late in the season, and you definitely don't want it in the postseason because that's you're going to need both of these guys to be at the top of their game when the postseason comes in. But yeah, blowing that layup at the end of the game, it just it it's just another of the many frustrations. We just don't know sometimes where James Harden's head is. And doesn't that really go back to the question mark with James of can somebody else play really well and James Harden play well at the same? I mean, he's got to learn how to be great without the basketball in his hands as often as he usually has it when he's playing, when he's playing well and he's getting those 40 games, 40 point games. Well, and that's what you're going to need. Like I said, when, when you get in the postseason, you're going to have to have both of these guys. Everybody's just going to need to be clicking on all cylinders. But as you mentioned, there's 20 games left in the season and as competitive as the Western conference has been and is the Rockets can't really afford to, to stub their toe very much more, or they're going to lose that fourth, you know, the four number four spot and just, go down further to where they're going to play a higher seed of team. And it's just going to stack things up even more against them in the first round. I'm going to red flag this next one because this is starting to be a big, 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 big concern for me. Eric Gordon, who's shooting has been awful all season long. Steve, it wasn't just before the knee surgery. It's like that. He just was bad. He's been bad the whole, it's been consistent. He shot 36% from three the last two years. He's at 32.6% this year. Yeah, that is a big concern. And, and of course, before he signed that big contract, you almost thought that he might be a good trade piece. Well, now you, you can't trade him, uh, you know, not just because of the ineffectiveness, but because of the money. So you're kind of stuck with him and you just have to hope that he can get healthy at the right time. But th- this whole year, man, this has been a long stretch now where he's either been ineffective or injured. I hope it's not like an Aaron Colvin contract. It was like, oh, no, what do we do? What do oh, we do? yeah, we sure don't want that. Uh, good news, I guess, uh, as far as interesting stat, Westbrook and Harden each averaged 30 points and five assists in February. So they're the first pair of teammates in NBA history to each average 30 points and five assists in a calendar month. That's pretty cool. But I've got an even better stat for you. Robert Covington in his career averages 0.9 blocks per game, a little under one block per game. 
With the Rockets, he's averaging 2.7 blocks per game. Boy, that, that is so good to see. And even in the Celtics game, I think he blocked a couple of shots that were key. And and even making a three-pointer here and there. If he can start doing that every once in a while, that that's going to be even better. But I, I really I, I like the Covington trade more and more every time I see him play. What a different player he is compared to when he was with the Rockets the first time. Yeah, he's also averaging two more rebounds with the Rockets than he has in his entire career. But you almost feel like that's to be expected since, you know, now he's the biggest guy on the court and he's mostly played with Embiid and Towns. Now he's kind of with the Pocket Rockets. Yeah, the Pocket Rockets. Yeah, I kind of like that name, the Pocket Rockets. Um, kind of a cool name and I guess very apropos for the, the style of play and, ju- and just with the lineup that they have now. I want to get off the Rockets for just a bit because – if you're a sports fan, Zion Williamson is really the only must-see TV in the NBA these days. Steven, I looked up his numbers, and here's something that's going to shock you if you haven't done the math. He's played in 15 NBA games so far, so it's a pretty decent sample size. And because they have him on this minutes restriction after the injury, he's just getting 29 minutes per game. But if you look at his per 36, so basically what he'd average if he had a, played a normal starter minutes that you would expect from from a guy that's a, you know in that position – He's averaging 30 points per game on 60% shooting. Yeah, it's really great to see. If you're an NBA fan in general, I I always think it's interesting how this sort of thing comes, I guess, at just the right time for the league. You you know, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, a lot of people feel like they saved the NBA because everyone was wondering, so who are the next superstars going to be? You know, then it's, it's Bird and Johnson. And then, of course, you have Michael Jordan, you have LeBron James, and LeBron James is, is still around and he's still effective, but let's be honest, he doesn't have that many years left. So if Zion Williamson can continue the just to, to play great and stay healthy, then he may be the next guy that the NBA can market as the superstar. So, yeah, it, it's really cool to see and just some, the, the way he plays, some of the moves he makes, and just some of the records that... He has set and is going to set as he keeps going on. And don't think I didn't notice that the Lakers, uh, they beat the Pelicans twice in the last week or so, and they lost to the Grizzlies. I don't think they want the Grizzlies in the, I mean, the, the Pelicans in the first round. They don't want Zion. They want, they want, they want the Grizzlies. Let, let, let them, let them win. Let them win some more so they can have the eight seed. Yeah. Well, I guess LeBron is still the king, at least when it comes to one team beating the other. But uh, yeah, it's just great though, to see Zion Williamson. And, and the fact that, you know, he overcame that injury, and at least so far, uh, doesn't seem to have any effects from it. We got some Astros and Texan stuff coming up, but before we go on, I, I want to talk about any lab test now. And if you're wondering, how can any lab test now help you? Well, here's how. They provide direct access lab testing that makes it easier for individuals to maintain a healthy lifestyle. Now, what does direct access mean? Very simply, It means you can just walk into any of their 15 Houston area locations, select which lab test you want completed, and you're in and out in as little as 15 minutes. They can either provide the doctor's order or accept your physician's order. So if you're uninsured or you have a high deductible insurance or trying to manage your healthcare budget, take advantage of their many lab testing options any lab test now has to offer. HSA and FSA cards are accepted. Most results are ready in one to three business days and can be sent directly to your email, giving you the information you need to take control of your health, which I know most of us are just trying really hard to do. And and you can also check their website, anylabtestnow.com. It's www.anylabtestnow.com. And I can tell you, 
uh, from personal experience, how quick and convenient it is. I've had tons of experience getting lab work done. Unfortunately, not one place was easier than any lab test now, not one. Now let's check in on what the Astros were doing oh, about 40 years ago. Tomorrow, starting at 4 Eastern, the Houston Astros meet the Los Angeles Dodgers in the first National League Division tiebreaker ever. Today, Ron Say stroked his 28th home run of the season to lead the Dodgers over the Astros 4-3. Tomorrow, the game that decides the Western Division champion, live on ABC. Steven, do you remember that Astros one-game division tiebreaker with the Dodgers way back in 1980? I sure do, Robert, for more reasons than one, not just because of the game itself and the implications that they had. Of course, you know, we were all starting to get a little concerned because the Astros had a chance to win that division outright with a three-game series against the Dodgers, and they proceeded to lose all three games, which set up the tiebreaker. But I remember the day of that particular game. I was I was studying for a college final, and I went to take the final, and I, I practically bombed the final. So I come out going, okay, is this going to be how the day goes that I bombed this final and the Astros are going to get bombed and they're going to lose the, their chance to win a division and, and miss the playoffs again? You know, they were so close. I mean, that would have been, you know, that was their first playoff year, of course. So I come out um, after the final and I put the game on the radio on the way home. And I think that's when the Astros were up, I believe, seven to seven to one, seven to two. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe, maybe. Well, they, of course, they ended up winning that game and uh, made it to the playoffs. So, yeah, that that's what I remember about that game, that game in particular in that day. Yeah, nobody creates uh, drama the way the Astros have over the years, whether it's that game, whether it's the Phillies series, whether up 2-0, two, no, two, oh, they, they lose 3-2, to two, whether it's the 86 playoffs. I don't have to tell anybody about that that's an Astros fan. If it's, you know, you go back to the 18-inning game back in 2004, the, the 2017 run, obviously, was there was a lot of drama <laughs> And, and that one we saw last year in the World Series, the Altuve home run in game six and uh, the uh, ALCS. So it's just like over and over again, they're like that. And and really the cool thing, Stephen, what's been so rewarding as I've done the show over the years is getting to talk to some of the old Astros on the show from the team, that particular team. We've talked to J.R. Richard, Enos Cabell, Alan Ashby. But you know what? I keep forgetting to ask about that particular game. You sometimes forget about it with the unbelievable Philly series that followed. Well, that's right. I mean, that's what overshadowed it is uh, you thought that the the Dodgers game was pivotal because it put the Astros in the playoffs for the first time. But the, that Philly series and just how, how you know, the, the Astros were in such a position to advance and then just how heartbreaking it was when the series fell apart and they ended up losing to the Phillies. So, yeah, a lot of people talk about that, but they forget that they had to go through the Dodgers and basically have a tiebreaker 163rd game even though the Astros had a chance to put them away in the three-game series, the last series of the regular season against the Dodgers and couldn't do it. Again, that was 40 years ago. Uh, you wow. know, just uh, unreal. And, and let's, let's, do, let's go to the modern day and do three major stories from Astros spring training that are only about baseball. We're going to stick to just baseball, thank goodness, uh, <laughs> in this one. And let me start with my number one, Stephen, and it's Brent Strom saying he is devoted to make Brian Abreu a starter. And, and that kind of shocked me, really. Well, it is shocking. But then when you think about where it's coming from or who the source is that's making that statement, I put a lot of trust in Brent Strom as far as knowing what to do. And I'll tell you what, Dusty Baker, you know, the, the Astros' new manager, is relying heavily on Brent Strom, I think, to make a lot of these decisions of you know who should be a starter, who should be a reliever, 
who should be the fifth starter. So, you know, if if Brent, hey, if Brent Strom says that Brian Abreu should be a starter, I'm going to go ahead and just uh, put my trust in Brent Strom because I, I, he hasn't led us too far down a, a bad path yet. So, but it, his stuff is just so good then I guess in a way it doesn't really surprise me. You know, the, the the question, though, with him and with Josh James, who I think, you know, they're they're trying to make a starter out of him, is they need to learn how to pitch and not how to throw. And that's that's a, a definitely a big question with Josh James. And I know they're trying to work with him on his delivery and teach him because he just knows how to rear back and throw 100 miles an hour. But if you're going to be a starter, you've got to learn how to pitch. You've got to learn command. You've got to have command of that strike zone, and that's something that that both James and Brian Abreu are going to have to do consistently. Yeah, and with Verlander and Granke getting old quickly, and you lost Garrett Cole, and you lost a lot of young a lot of young pitchers that you've traded over the last uh, couple of years. They need some young arms, and that gets me to my number two because from what I've heard about Forrest Whitley's performance and how many things he's working on with his delivery. I'd almost be shocked to see him play with the Astros before September. Uh, Brent Strom is having him go back to his high school pitching delivery, Stephen. And it's interesting that MLB.com still has Whitley as the Astros' number one prospect, but I kind of want to ignore it because, you know, they've got Arquiti at number two, which how can he still be a prospect? They have Abraham Toro at number three, Abreu's at number five. Really, all of those guys should be on the Astros' roster this year. But, I mean, Forrest Whitley, I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried about this guy big time. Well, I know the Astros are trying to downplay some of the things that have happened. You know, Forrest Whitley, he came in and his first day of live BP didn't go well. And, you know, of course, they were trying to downplay that. Well, it's just live batting practice. You know, he's, he's just trying to find his rhythm. And he says he feels good. He says health-wise, he feels good. He says the ball's coming out of his hand well. Well, apparently not. I mean, it, 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 something is up with Forrest Whitley. And you were hoping that last season was just one of those – Crazy things that happen to prospects. Sometimes they just either lose focus or, you know, as you move up higher, the the competition gets stiffer and things just happen. Uh, I mean, you almost wondered for a while if it was a health issue. But, yeah, I I mean, you have to worry if he's coming into camp this year and things just they they still aren't clicking. So, yeah, and, and I don't put too much stock in these rankings anyway. It's, you know, prospect one, prospect five or ten. You still have to go out on the mound and, and do the job. So, yeah, Force Whitley is definitely a concern. And, you know, especially if your pitching depth, if you start suffering more injuries or ineffectiveness with some of these prospects that are trying to be starters or relievers, then, you know, Force Whitley not being effective is, is going to loom even larger as the season goes on. And that leads me to storyline number three for Mastro's spring training. GM James Click said he would or he could add to the pitching depth. He pointed out that they're only seven deep with starters who are ready to pitch this season, or at least at the beginning of the season, I guess, and and they'll need more. He wasn't including Whitley on that list. It didn't help that they had to shut down Rogelio Armenteras. And Stephen, I'm wondering if Colin McHugh is a potential option at all. I mean, why not? Well, he could be. I mean, they could always re-sign him. They they opted not to re-sign him during free agency, but if he's still available... There's nothing that says that they wouldn't. You know, his, of course, he was, he struggled with injuries this past season. Yeah, Armenteros, I know they were kind of counting on him maybe to, to be a contribution. And guess what? Francis Martez gets suspended again for a full season for PEDU. So he's definitely not going to be an option. I, I'm surprised. I don't know why they would even keep him after this point. 
So, yeah, it just kind of goes back to what I said just a little while ago is, you know, you think you have all this pitching depth, but that's only if everything came together, you know, in in fantasy land that, that everything just works out. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that James Click may have to go outside and you take into, into account you've got the fifth starter position. you got Framer Valdez competing with uh, Austin Pruitt and Josh James. You don't know how well that's going to go. None of those guys have really are, are proven starters. So that's another concern. And let's talk about Lance McCullers for a second, because I know he, he's tabbed as the number three guy behind Verlander and Grinky. But look, I, I, just from my own observations, the year the pitchers come back after Tommy John's surgery is not always their effective year. And they, you certainly aren't going to expect a whole bunch of innings from McCullers. I mean, I, I certainly don't think you're going to get 200 innings out of him. And even if you are going to have some effective innings from him, you know, are they going to shut him down at some point? You know, what's the tipping point? So Lance McCullers is a real question mark. I mean, it's great that so far he seems to be throwing well, but but of course it's very limited size. So there are just a lot of question marks that the Astros have that James Click may have to just depending on what happens in the next few weeks of spring training, go outside the roster. Yeah, no, no, there's no question. I mean, we we talked about that throughout the offseason. It, it, it's a concern. The starting pitching is the biggest concern going into the season. I still think the bullpen's going to be a deal. I mean, we talked about losing Will Harris. And, you know, again, it's you, you're going to depend on guys that you haven't depended on as much. Like, a, like if a Josh James is in the bullpen with a Brian Abreu in the bullpen, these are young guys that haven't shown their consistency yet. Uh, Joe Smith's got to be healthy for the entire season. I don't trust Osuna. I mean, I've, I've kind of gone through all of that stuff. I, I guess the one thing uh, that I saw that was beyond, you know, the just talking, ba- we tried to just talk some baseball, but I did see that Ken Giles said uh, he knew nothing about what was going on in 2017. And I guess I have two points to that. Uh, Steven, I, I just, I thought when I saw that, I was like, First of all, am I surprised that Ken Giles wouldn't know anything? <laughs> Number one. Uh, yeah, that's true. His head was definitely somewhere else during that 2017 season. So maybe you have something there. He also said that he would give his, uh, he wants to give back his, or he doesn't, you know, I guess he wants to give back his World Series ringers. And I'm like, did we give him? He's we, willing. Yeah. I guess they did give him one. We gave him one for, for what? <laughs> well, Robert, I'm surprised that, it, I mean, if, even if you covered the Astros fairly recently, I'm surprised they didn't contact you to give you a World Series ring. I mean, they, they gave World Series rings to really, I, I think, anybody who claimed, you know, to have been with the Astros. I mean, <laughs> who didn't they give a ring to is, I guess, my question. Oh, yeah. No, it was. It, <laughs> I mean, now there's uh, there's other jokes that I'm sure other fan bases that will probably make fun of that whole deal about. But yeah, it's it was it it, it, it kind of got a, it was a little bit out of hand. But I mean, you know, it's their first World Series ever. You know, does it still you know does it still going to be something that you know fans are going to be like, oh look look at this to ever? But you can't show it to other fan bases now because they're just going to give you crap about it, right? Well, that's right. And you know what? Every player I think has to decide for themselves how they're going to handle this. And this is not going to go away anytime soon. I mean, we've talked about this. It is, this is going to haunt the Astros for years to come. And, and certainly this season is, is probably going to be the roughest. So, yeah, but I, I think every player just has to look at it and have to make their own decision. And, and once they make it, they have to live with it and they have to sleep with it. So the Astros made their apologies. Now it's time for me to make uh, my apology to everybody out there that listens to the podcast that I didn't do a special podcast when Bill O'Brien named Tim Kelly 
the new play caller last week. I'm sure that just reinvents the offense, right, Stephen? I, could, I, I couldn't believe it. I kept waiting for a text from you, Robert. Hey, are you available to record here in a few minutes? We need to talk about Tim Kelly. You know, I kept looking for that text, and it never came. So, you, you know, it surprised even me that you didn't <laughs> put it out there. Well, you know, I, I guess – yeah, here's the thing. I mean, we've been asking Bill O'Brien to to give some to take some things off his plate that you know, he's he's got that plate walking back to his table. There's way too much food. He's going to spill something. Well, I'm, um, you know, maybe he took uh part of uh, you know, maybe some mashed potatoes or something off of there so that it wouldn't fall. So, you know, he's he's doing that. The question is, is it the right move? And I guess only time will tell whether Tim Kelly is the guy. You know, and and also, how much of a hand is Bill O'Brien still going to have in that? Just because Tim Kelly doesn't have a lot of play calling experience. I mean, does he even make it to game one halftime before Bill O'Brien says, "Here, let me have the Denny's menu. I'm taking it over again." Well, that's right. I mean, here's the thing: is how much adversity is are, are the Texans going to have to go through before Bill O'Brien's going to want to snatch it back? And I think that's why there's still a lot of skepticism among some fans and the media. As, okay, well, how much control is he really giving up? I mean, right now it's easy. The Texans aren't playing a game. It's it's easy to name somebody to a position, but once you get started in it, and you know the Texans blow a lead or, or you know they are inept on offense, how many games are going to go by before Bill O'Brien takes it back? Do you even care about the combine? Have you ever cared about it? No, I don't watch it. I, I just I don't pay attention to a lot of that. I, you know, I used to get into the NFL draft. I used to wake up. I remember when I used to come on ESPN at. I don't know, 6, 7 a.m. in the morning, I would get up early, and I'm not a morning person, so that's saying something. I would get up and watch that draft coverage all day long. And it's hard for me to do that, especially, you know, if you're a Texans fan, they're not even going to have a first-round pick, so what's there to watch? But as far as the combine, I just think it's much ado about nothing. I I know there's some effectiveness, you know, to some of these studies, I suppose. But I sure can't watch it. Well, let's go back to games. How about some games and the Roughnecks? The Roughnecks just keep rolling. But this time they do it with defense. Four interceptions against the baby Cowboys up in Dallas. And, Stephen, <laughs> I saw something that I don't think I've ever seen on a on a game-winning interception in the final two minutes. Uh, or, or in this particular game-winning interception in the final two minutes. But I've never seen it. Like, forget about game-winning interception. Just period. Have, have you ever seen a quick screen on the one-yard line? No, that, that I mean, that's the thing about the XFL. You do see some crazy plays and, uh, you know, things that NFL teams, you well, maybe some of them would try them, but, uh, but probably not. Yeah, that that was an interesting deal of the way some of these games have ended. Yeah, a quick screen on the one yard line. I'm not sure if I were an NFL team, I'd be calling that play. Uh, the, the Renegades, they, they definitely... <laughs> The, the turnovers killed him, and, and yeah, the, the Roughnecks defense was certainly the story. The offense didn't quite click, I think, as much as we've seen it. Cam Phillips only had, what, one, maybe two catches, and he'd had two or three games before that where he had three touchdown catches each. So, yeah, it was a different story. Can we trade the, the Roughnecks defense and, and, and put it on the Texans defense? And, you know, maybe the Texans would have uh, won some more games and even gone further in the playoffs. I don't think they've been fantastic this year, but they, they do enough to win. That's what I've noticed about that. I mean, that, that's what I've noticed about the Roughnecks is they're, they're not, it's not like they're crushing everybody each week. It's no. just, they're doing enough. Well, they're making the plays though. And, and that's the thing. I mean, the, the Roughnecks defense, I believe has 11 turnovers this season to their credit. I mean, that's pretty darn impressive. And I, I believe they lead the XFL in sacks. 
you know, th- those are lessons that the Texans defense could certainly learn from. But no, they, I mean, they do have some lapses. You know, they did allow Dallas back in the game. And, and the offense, you know, on the first two turnovers, first two interceptions that uh, the defense picked off for them, they only came up with six points. Now, of course, the touchdown they scored, it was almost like a touchdown and a field goal combined because in the XFL, you can go for one, two, or three points. And the Roughnecks scored nine because they went for a three-point conversion and made it. So, you know, it's kind of hard to tell. But, hey, they're winning. They're the only unbeaten team left in the XFL. So, you know, that's saying something with the results. You know, uh, last thing I want to touch on was the Houston Cougars. And I tell you what. Uh, they are the opposite of the Rockets because when there's a ball that comes off the board and comes off the rim, I, I feel like the Rockets, it, oh, like, oh my God, are they ever going to get to, how many guys, how many times are they going to have to tip it up in the air or knock it out of somebody's hands to get the rebound? When, when, when it goes up and, and the Houston Cougars are on the floor, they're getting the rebound. I mean, they just, it's just what an incredible rebounding performance they had this weekend. And you you wonder what that's going to mean in the tournament. And when I look at uh, the tournament, I always see these huge basketball courts with the with the big backgrounds. So they're they're always hard to shoot in, Stephen. And I think that's going to be a big deal that if you can rebound like that, because shooting becomes a lot harder in the tournament. I mean, that's maybe a statement of the obvious, but especially with those those big backgrounds, it just makes it harder. Well, that's a good point. And the Cougars, if if the biggest problem they've had this year really has been shooting or, you know, the consistency of, of good shooting. So the rebounding is certainly going to be a key. And uh, yeah, they came out big. I mean, this this was the difference between winning an AAC championship, another AAC championship and not. And uh, Cincinnati has always been a tough game for them. So the fact that they did come through, you know, it gives you some hope that uh, maybe they can flourish in the tournament, at least go pretty far like they did last year. But the shooting is going to be a big key, and that's something that, I I don't know, to me, that's the biggest question mark the Cougars have is just having more than one really great shooter on the court. The freshman Sasser is coming along. Caleb Mills continues to be really good on offense. He kind of reminds me, Stephen, he reminds me of Lou Williams. He's just one of these guys that knows how to score. He, He does it, you know, with these different angled shots and, you know, he's a, he's a really good shooter, but he, he just figures a way to get baskets. And, and that reminds me, this the way he plays. Maybe it's a little bit of style, but also the type of shots he gets. Lou Williams in the, in the NBA with the Clippers. Well, you just hope that he's more consistent than Lou Williams because, Lou, to me, Lou Williams is one of those that when he's on, nobody can stop him. Oh, yeah, he's, he's as good a pure shooter as anybody. But when he's off, he can't hit the side of a barn. So, yeah, if he just maybe have Lou Williams' great shooting touch with a little more consistency even, uh, I think he'd have something there. And at least in college, Caleb Mills is better defensively than Lou Williams, which is that's not saying much, but no, he's good. He's a good defensive player too. So, you know, the, the Cougars, it's just we're, we're a week from Sunday away from Selection Sunday. So this is, it's coming on as fast. March Madness is is here. Obviously, it's March. You know, we're, we're doing this on, on March the 3rd. So it's March. So uh, I'm excited about that. And and as I'm sure everybody's noticed every week now, we're doing Throwback Thursday with some of our favorite conversations in the first seven years of the show. So if you're a new listener, maybe you passed over an interview because you were busy over the last few years, you can look for, look for it in our Throwback Thursdays. And, you know, it, it just they, they're the perfect way because they're these are just they're not really dated shows. Uh, they involve sports history. So. You can listen to them really anytime. And let me ask you, Stephen, 
You have any favorites from Throwback Thursday so far? We got Rodney McRae, Tal Smith, Barry Warner, Mickey Herskowitz, Greg Kreinler, Vernon Perry. You know, I would have to say Mickey Herskowitz and Barry Warner just because just of the wealth of knowledge and experience those guys have. And Mickey Herskowitz, just talk about a walking encyclopedia and not just about sports. I mean, Mickey Herskowitz, I believe he he covered he covered other things besides sports, you know, as as a newspaper writer for decades. And he's written a number of books, you know, on topics not just sports related, but uh, his his knowledge of Houston sports history is just incredible. And Barry Warner, you know, Barry is is never one to shy away from saying what he thinks. And uh, I, I just uh, what I like about those Throwback Thursdays is you bring back so many memories. I'm a big sports history buff, period. But especially when it comes to Houston sports, because as we pointed out before, Robert, just like you, you know, I, I lived in Houston uh, during my childhood left after high school, but I still follow Houston teams. And I still like to look back on those times when I was living there, just like we talked about a little while ago with the Astros in 1980. I mean, I know exactly what I was doing when that game was played. Well, I love the throwback Thursdays because it just brings me back to a, I guess sometimes it's a simpler time and just memorize, remembering some of the good things that did happen, even if they aren't championship related, there's still a lot of good memories of Houston sports that we can cover. Yeah, I was uh, looking through some old stuff because uh, my mom's kind of clearing house at, at her old place and I've got all this, well, I don't have much junk left there, but she handed me about, I have six baseball albums full of baseball cards from the 80s because I used to collect that stuff. And I also have an album full of uh, football cards from the 80s. So it was, it was kind of fun to look through all that stuff. And I can't remember, did I tell you about this already on the show? But I I, I found a Houston Arrows hockey puck. Did I mention that last week? I think you mentioned it off the air. I don't think we talked about it on the show, but uh, boy, that's pretty cool because there, no, no, there's just something about having a, a souvenir of a hockey puck. <laughs> that's that's pretty cool to me, I think. We're not talking about a Houston Arrows from the minor league team recently. I'm talking about from the 70s, the World Hockey League, the the Gordy Howe teams. Yeah, the Gordy Howe days. And I followed that team. And, and of course, you know, every up until, you know, when the Oilers won the old AFL titles back in the early 60s, the Arrows were the next professional Houston sports team to win a championship. And that was in the World Hockey Association in the 70s with Gordy Howe. They won two in a row. So you really have something there, Robert. Yeah, it's I love it. The hockey puck is it's very it's one of the more unique things that you can get. I think it's better than a baseball when you catch a baseball. I agree. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I love baseball. It's probably my favorite sport. But a hockey puck. I mean, how many people can say they own a hockey puck that doesn't play the sport? Yeah, right. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's really cool. But before, I want to do one last thing before we close out the show. Just want to remind you that we're brought to you by any lab test. Now, if you, you go there. Uh, hey, tell them you heard heard about it through us. Uh, it's like, like I said, this is so quick and easy. It's the easy way to get direct access lab testing. And when you're trying to manage your healthcare budget, it's the way to go. You've got 15 Houston area locations to choose from. Check out their website, www.anylabtestnow.com. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.